welcome to this week's edition of the Seven Innings Podcast. We've got great stuff online, a lot of top 10 teams tumbling. You know how I love my alliteration. Also, she's back in the circle for UCLA, a Sooner update for you. We had a bunch of walk-offs. We're going to have some fun in the Florida sun. And of course, shag a stat or two. It's the Seven Innings Podcast. You can follow along on your lineup card at Seven Innings Podcast on all of your social media uh, BMO, Shro, Scarborough, Bro, JDH, and Smitty with you. And we are excited about this edition of the Seven Innings Podcast because we're going to see a lot more uh, conference play getting underway. But it all starts with something we've been talking about. A lot of parity around the country. A lot of upsets already uh, in this early part of the season, Amanda Scarborough. What was it? Three top tens and then Texas right outside the top ten. All, uh, all fell last week. Yeah, it was a really busy week. Um, we were just talking about the unbeatens last weekend and we had a long list of them and then suddenly four of them go down. So Alabama lost to South Alabama, one to nothing, Florida lost to FSU seven to two, Texas lost two to one to LSU. And then Arizona lost to UCF two to nothing. What stuck out to me is that in those four losses, those teams only scored three runs. And then the other thing that stuck out to me is that two teams got shut out, Alabama and Arizona, and both of them were by mid-major teams. So uh, talking about the parity, just a stat to back it up. And Jen, I know that you were watching those games too. Yeah, I'd love to talk about Gianna Mancha from UCF. Guys, she threw lights out. Arizona is a potent offense. They rake. They are rarely silenced. Her game was to go right at them. She did not waver from her strike zone, from her pitches. She had nine strikeouts. She was poised. She made the big pitches when she needed to and she was so impressive. And then their offense simply got it done. Two runs, one early in the ball game, one later in the ball game to kind of put the nail in the coffin, but it really was UCF's ball game the entire time. Jenny, I knew you were watching. You know, I love this 10 day road trip that coach Candrea has scheduled for Arizona, because when you go to the world series, you're on the road, you've got to learn how to play under tough situations against really good pitching. And I want to attack exactly what you said, Jen, because Gianna Mancha was amazing in the circle. She got Arizona to swing outside the zone, which is something that Arizona typically does not do. But I think that was aided because of the umpire strike zone. He was calling that high pitch. And because of that, Arizona was adjusting and actually swinging out of the zone at that pitch that was going higher and higher. And so Mancha did a great job of um, expanding the zone and getting Arizona outside of probably what their hitting approach was told to be going into that game. What do you think, Kayla? Uh, well, everything that you're saying about the UCF Arizona game was mirrored in the Alabama South Alabama game because uh, Olivia Lackey did the exact same thing. She owned the Alabama hitters by understanding what the umpire was calling. He liked that low, especially inside the righties pitch. And she attacked that all day long. And then when she didn't hit that spot, she threw in that rise ball. So it just looked like all day long, the Alabama hitters didn't really go up with a surefire plan to attack what was successful for the opposing pitcher. And, and I know, Michelle, you and I talked about it a little bit this weekend, was how do you balance, yes, these pitchers had incredible weekends, very successful weekends. How do you balance that with superior hitting, not making enough 
adjustments throughout the game, not saying I'm going to do something different. I'm not going to go up there and do the same thing that we've seen over and over again, Michelle. Yeah, absolutely, Kayla. And it was funny because when we were chatting about this, I was like, okay, back in the day when I played, it was all about adjustments from pitch to pitch, at bat to at bat. And to just not see those adjustments made, it, it makes you wonder, okay, are, are, what are the coaches saying to them? What are the players thinking when they go up knowing, okay, that rise ball's being called or that inside pitch, more importantly, that was really good strike that Alabama wasn't adjusting to. So that's one, seeing the adjustments. And, and Beth Mullins and I, we talked about this as well. We called a couple of games for LSU where every out was in the air. And when I got to talk to the LSU coaches, they talked about, well, we want to, you know, we want to elevate to celebrate, but you can't swing through it. If you're not able to elevate the ball out of the yard, then the pitcher's celebrating. And we saw a lot of pitchers celebrating. Um, one other thing I do want to note as well about the Texas LSU series is that I don't know if anyone noticed, um, in the game that was delayed, so Shea O'Leary was rolling, and then all of a sudden, looked like she tweaked her ankle, right? Then she gives up those two back-to-back -back home runs. Well, if you notice and you go back and look at the scorecards over the next two games when they lost the series, she never pitched again. So I think it'll be interesting to see how she's doing uh, coming back. So I think when we start looking at Garcia O'Leary, some of these ace pitchers, if they go down, it truly affects the teams. All right, let's see if anybody uh, in the next half hour or so can come up with something better than Elevate to celebrate for this week's episode of the Seven Innings Podcast. Jenny and Jen, I want to address this to you because uh, something Amanda touched on, and, and whenever um, you talk to, you know, if it was Sue Inquist or Kelly I or, or in particular Mike Candrea, you know, there was a time when it was just two teams winning everything. And then Mike Candrea says, we had this database in place. And with television, now all of a sudden, everyone else has all this information that they can use. And with all these games now being streamed, Jenny, um, you, you have a chance to do a lot more scouting against even the big dogs and some of these the success that some of these uh, group of five teams now are having against top 10 opponents. Well, and if, if I take you back 25 years ago, there was no research being done. No. Our mantra was um, chuck and duck. And so no matter what the pitcher was throwing, we were just hacking. Well, that's kind of what you saw, you're seeing at times because what we're, sometimes hitters get overwhelmed with data and it takes away your athleticism at times. Yeah. So what you see across the country is coaches trying to filter the information that they're giving to their hitters so that they don't paralyze them, you know, paralysis by analysis. And so when it comes to these teams that you maybe don't have a lot of information on, you see athleticism coming through, but Michelle, to your point, the adjustments were just not being made against the pitchers that were throwing. Jen, what do you think? Jenny, you completely read my mind. When I look at softball across the board, I feel like statistics, data, launch angles, how far people are hitting the ball, right? It's flooded. It's flooded everywhere in these players' minds. And then I look at the sheer athleticism was the word you used or fearlessness of some of the top hitters in the country, the Jocelyn Allos. You can't tell me that she goes up to the plate with data in her mind. I will never believe you that she's thinking launch angle. Oh, I have to swing at the first outside pitch. It's a strike. There is no way those type of hitters, the Fale Lewis, the Sam Russes, the Jocelyn Allos, the Kinsey Hansons, the Tiara Jennings, they're going up there and they're saying, 
give me a good pitch and I'm going to make you pay. It's that simple. And I think that that's what the game is lacking right now. And I think that's when you look at the Arizona lineup or the Alabama lineup, it looks like they were trying to be too robotic and make the right adjustment and not make the right adjustment for them as individual batters. Kayla, what do you think? Uh, you guys are so right. And two things, again, I'm going to say it again, but athleticism and fearlessness. I think what those two combine is you make subconscious decisions to adjust within your at bat. You don't need to go up there and say, okay, I got to do this, that, and the other thing when you're in the box that comes way before you make your plan in the dugout, you practice it on deck. And then when you get into the batter's box, box, you let your just natural abilities take over and the players that can go up and are fearless in their ability to say, it's okay if I look dumb and change my swing a little bit to try and hit this certain pitch, because I trust my mechanics and my ability to adapt. Those are the players that are successful, the players that cannot get out of their own head. And I have to do it this certain way every single time, because this is what I've been trying to do, or I have to be perfect are the ones that can't adjust and cannot adapt to better pitching or a pitcher that challenges you. What do you think, Michelle? So I'm just going to tell you a quick little story. I played with, uh, I was fortunate enough to play with one of the best shortstops in the entire world, Emi Naito, um, my Japanese shortstop. And I asked her one day when she was smoking, right? Japanese Olympian, just incredible, hits the ball, tons of power. Uh, and I asked her, I'm like, what are you thinking about when you're hitting? And she says to me, uh, the ball could So, and basically the ball that comes, that's all she's thinking about. She's thinking about the ball that comes. And sometimes to all y'all's point, it is paralysis by analysis. And it's a thinking about all these things. It's just react. It, our sport is reactionary and about experience. And when you just hit the ball that comes, you usually are pretty successful. What do you think JDH? Well, early on, the UCLA Arizona matchup was ridiculous back in the nineties. Right. And I remember playing against Dee Wyman who had this amazing rise. Oh, yep. We played Dee in a game at UCLA. And I feel like I struck out 18 times that day. And every single time it was on a rise ball, just right over my bat. I was so frustrated, but I swung harder and harder and harder. And I didn't make an adjustment and coach Candrea never talked to us in the dugout that day. And I wonder if that was what was going on in this situation where he let them fail so that they could be more teachable heading down the stretch. Ah. Just wanted to add um, one more thing when we talk about all the film that is on these pitchers and that the hitters are just so ready for and know exactly what the, the pitcher's best pitch is. The pitcher who shut out Arizona, Gianna Mancha, who Jen mentioned earlier is a transfer from Boise State. And the pitcher who shut out Alabama is a freshman, Olivia Lackey. So not a lot of film on either of those pitchers. And I think that you see it too. There's another transfer pitcher from Boise State, Kelsey Brodus, who pitches for AM. She threw a no-hitter this, this weekend. So it's really interesting that that film really does play a huge part. And you can see it with the results and when a team faces these pitchers for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, shout out to Lackey and company, right? The complete game shutout, their first win ever uh, over the Tide. So the top 10 tumbles, uh, more parody and uh, more great stuff from our seven innings podcast crew, like filter the data, fearless, the ball that comes. Smitty is an endless volume of encyclopedic knowledge. The ball that comes, the new front runner in the clubhouse to name this episode. We know one player who is fearless and that would be Rachel Garcia and Jen Schroeder. I know you were excited to see that she is back and what eight strikeouts of nine batters she faced against the Aztecs. Struck out eight of nine. She only threw three innings, 
no hits, but, but one stat that I feel like really need to talk about, she gave up no walks, which I yeah. feel like when you've been rusty and when you rusty, right. I mean, it's Rachel Garcia. I don't know how much rust <laughs> develops on her bones and muscles, but I think that's a really good stat to, to just put out there because someone who hasn't gotten the ball in a very long time. And I think the question that I have that I for sure will not be getting the answer to or giving the answer to is, is she a hundred percent? Because yeah. we still don't see her starting. We still don't see her playing defense when she's not pitching. We saw her DP yesterday. So is she a hundred percent or is UCLA trying to be strategic in how they use her knowing that the pack is going to go to a four game series? And how will her not getting reps affect them as a complete team? Because it changes their defense when she's at first base. It also is going to move Kinsley Washington to second base. So your whole infield mm -hmm. is now different when Rachel Garcia is the Rachel Garcia that we all know. So what are the long-term effects on UCLA's defense because of Rachel Garcia's injury? Jenny? Well, in my question, I actually want to ask Michelle, because will USA softball step in at some point? Yes to hold her back because she's a necessary component of the Olympic squad as well. And you're more ingrained in that USA softball community. What do you think that perspective is when it comes to the UCLA? Yeah, I, I think that definitely with the number as well as Olympians that have come out of that UCLA program, there's a lot of, I'm sure, dialogue going back and forth, making sure that Rachel Garcia is not only going to be healthy, but then also going to get the reps that she needs. Uh, and on the flip side of that, let's just say she didn't have an injury and you don't want her overused either coming off of a collegiate season and burn out. And then all of a sudden the Olympics are, are, are four weeks later, six weeks later. So I'm, I'm sure there is some dialogue going on to really figure out what's best for the athlete of Rachel Garcia uh, um, for both those programs. But I'm sure mm -hmm. Team USA does have some to say on this. What do you think, Bimo? Yeah, they, they do have, uh, let's see, is it this week and next UC Santa Barbara and UNLV. So she's got a couple of other a couple more weeks maybe to, to get back into top form and then bang, it's right into Arizona state, their, their first series in PAC 12 play, but it's going to be something we'll have to monitor throughout the spring because of course it's not just Rachel. It's also Bubba Nichols and Deja Mulipola. They're starting to play, right? Aren't they playing some exhibitions now? They're going to start getting the team together a little more often. Obviously those players are going to want to be in some of those practices or in some of those games uh, because they're fighting for for starting jobs. Yeah, and, and okay. you bring up a really good point. Uh, sorry, real quick, Jen, is that Team USA is playing Team Mexico in Clearwater. They yeah. beat the last two days. So Kat Osterman pitched last night, and um, I think Team USA won seven to nothing in a five-inning game. Kat was on fire. She did great. Uh, team, excuse me, game one, Team USA won four to two. But yeah, this is the point where Team USA, I mean, think about those athletes they haven't played a game in a year other than the athletes yeah. those that played in that over the summer so this is an important time for team usa as well as those collegiate kids getting their uh their reps in the ncaa ball what do you think jen yeah michelle and they actually i think they just finished their third game against mexico so i believe that they just swept them um three games in a row but as far as the usa players so i can speak for bubba and rachel and i believe deja but i'm not 100 positive they are actually not going to practice and play with usa they're going wow. to stay with their collegiate teams but i do know on the flip side that some of the mexico players so for example Aliyah jordan is going to go play with mexico so i found that to be really interesting that the usa girls were going to stay with their colleges but some of the mexico girls were actually going to go play and as far as i know it's because yeah. 
the official Mexican roster has not been named yet. So they're still vying for spots on the Olympic roster. Okay, very interesting moving forward with that. But uh, good to see Rachel back in the circle and, and hopefully from a, a fan's perspective, a whole lot more. Uh, we need a constant update on what the Oklahoma Sooners are doing because uh, I think it's up to uh, 17 and 0 as we tape. I think they're playing today. So uh, 17 games, 13 of those run rules, 11 shutouts. Uh, they, they whipped up on their first ranked opponents of the season with uh, a sweep of Missouri. Uh, they've also thrown two perfect games, hit 61 home runs in 17 games, and scored 217 runs in 17 games and have only allowed 18. So, you know, what do we continue to make? It's just ridiculous the, what they're able to do in the circle, what they're able to do at the plate, Jenny. You know, the thing that really stands out to me is that, yes, they're hitting a lot of home runs, but in their last five games, eight different players had home runs. You had Jenny with four, Alo with three, Hanson with three, and then Page, Lyons, Coleman, and Elam all had single ones apiece. And so for me, it's the potent lineup. It's not just the, the usual sluggers, right, that sit in the three, four, five hole. All the way up and down the lineup, they've got big boppers all the way through. You see last weekend that they ended up playing Missouri a couple of times and they've only really played Arizona state as a ranked opponent up to this point and pretty easy schedule. Some might say a cupcake schedule with the exception of those games. So their numbers are a little bit inflated. I, I think that it's going to change once they get into a big, a stronger big 12 play, but the way that they pretty much handled Missouri. I mean, they beat them five to two on Saturday and then they run ruled them 11 to nothing on Sunday. Yeah. That's a strong Missouri team and they can hit the ball. So the fact that Missouri only scored two runs against their pitching staff, we talk a lot about, you know, Oklahoma's offense, but still a strong Missouri offense only scored two runs against Oklahoma's pitching staff, Jen. You're right. I love that term cupcake schedule. I've not heard that, but I like it. Uh, but, but to beat Missouri the way that they did showed that it's not just all fluff. I'll use Michelle's favorite word, but I want to take a look at their three big time hitters. Jocelyn Allo, she's hitting 596. So just a few points shy of 600. Then you've got Tiara Jennings, 554. And then Kinsey Hansen, who may be the quietest best hitter in the country is hitting 529. The three of them combined, and I want to note that Kinsey Hansen actually did not play in the 33-run ball game. Okay, so taking that into account, <laughs> the three of them have combined for 33 home runs. So the three of them alone have more home runs than most every other D1 team in the country. That's absurd. Yeah. We're going to keep tracking this because the, uh, the best record uh, of all time, D1, was the UCLA Bruins of 1992, 54-2. That's it. Only two losses uh, for that team. So can, can the Sooners continue to roll as they get closer now to, uh, to Big 12 play? Time now to move into the uh, number four spot if you're following along on your lineup card. Of course, uh, the Big Boppers, what better way uh, to uh, bring on the walk-offs and I know um, we're also going to be talking about the SEC getting underway. Caleb Bro, you've got Mississippi State coming up. So why don't we start out with Fa Leilua hitting it a Fa Fa way with the walk-offs. Uh, let me tell you, she, if you've never seen Fa Leilua, please go watch her swing the bat because 
every single time she gets in the box, she gets her money's worth. She takes her hacks big time. And so she had back-to-back days of walk-off home runs, both with two strikes, one against Alcorn State and the other one against Western Kentucky. But without fear, without changing her swing at all, we talk about being fearless and attacking. Fale Lua absolutely mashed some pitches, bat flips, see a game over. And, and my question is, you know, she does that in, in game one, I guess on Saturday, uh, you know, you can, you can probably walk her on Sunday or maybe pitch around her or <laughs> try and do something a little different. She's dangerous. Amanda, you got NC state coming up, right? How many is it now for Sam Russ walk-offs on the season? Oh, just three. Just three walk-offs, no big deal. Two last weekend, you know, uh, against an in-conference opponent and Georgia Tech. Yeah, looking forward to seeing them play against Virginia Tech. Um, NC State has been pretty clutch in the late innings. I mean, their games have been exciting offensively. They've made some big comebacks, so I can't wait to watch their offense. Um, Want to give a little bit of love to AM's Haley Lee. She had a three-home run game. Uh, it's her second of the year and hers is a walk-off run roll walk-off, but still it was a grand slam to end the game. So, and that was the home run number three of the three home run games. So and I love, I think JDH has the extended list, right. For the, for the walk-off <laughs> <Yes>. week. <laughs> so this one's not technically a walk-off, but I've got to give her props. So Trisha Awald at Georgia tech had a, it was the top of the seventh, but a grand slam to beat NC state 12 to 10. And Taylor Green from North Carolina versus UConn in a three-to-one win in the eighth. And that's her second walk-off of the year. And then maybe my favorite walk-off of the season so far is Mac Leonard of Illinois State. It was against FIU. It was a two-run home run. So for the three-to-two win, oh, and she pitched seven innings that (laughs) as well. So five hits, six walks, and the walk-off for the win. Nice, nice. Good week uh, in walk-offs. Good, a lot of great stuff. Uh, we will uh, have an SEC preview still to come, ACC update. Lots of fun in the Florida sun, a huge non-conference showdown looming. And I think the Big Ten is heading back down south for a, a, a get-together again. Also, we'll be shagging some stats. Beth Moens, Jen Schroeder, Amanda Scarborough, Kayla Bro, Jenny Dalton-Hill, and Michelle Smith. SEC getting underway, and let's jump in with both feet Uh, Smitty, you've got Alabama-Auburn. What can we expect in that one? Uh, Well, it's going to be interesting to see Alabama showing up after that uh, loss to uh, South Alabama. Um, You know, I I think that their their pitching staff has been outstanding so far. Defense, they're trying to clean up a a couple of things. And, And like Kayla and I were talking earlier, it's about adjustments. I'm excited, really excited to see Auburn. Okay, Mickey Dean has done a great job in that program underneath the radar they've got a couple of really good arms in the circle and let's face it it is alabama auburn it is always a great matchup no matter what sport it is it's at auburn so i'm really really looking forward to it i'm i'm excited to see shelby um low as well as maddie penta the two really young pitchers for auburn that have just been outstanding so far this year bro what's that one like and then you can take us into mississippi state and Ole miss preview for the weekend Yeah, I actually got asked this question earlier this week, and uh, the beautiful thing about the Alabama-Auburn series is it's evolving in a positive direction, because from my era of playing and before, 
we had never really lost to Auburn. We lost once my senior year. And besides that, I mean, it was pretty much an automatic sweep. And then over the last 10 years, the Auburn program has progressed in such a positive direction. And, and Mickey Dean is continuing to take it in that direction. So all of a sudden it went from, eh, this isn't really much. This is just another SEC series to, okay, this means something. This holds a lot of pride, a lot of weight for the state. And, and speaking of in-state rivalries, we're kicking Ooh. it off with Mississippi State Ole Miss too this weekend. Uh, which is where I'm at. And I think that's going to be a cool series because both of the teams um, for different reasons are kind of sitting at the bottom of the SEC right now. They've both played pretty good non-conference schedules. They've both played Texas. Uh, They've played Baylor. They've played some big time teams that have challenged them. And I think for Mississippi state, it's all about their offense. They have done a fantastic job. Obviously they have Fale Lua, Mia Davidson, um, Chloe Ma'alu'u is one of the really bright stars emerging out of their program. She's hit leadoff for them. So I think for them, the offense is to watch. And I think on the other side of things, Ole Miss is new coach Jamie Traxel trying to figure out their team's identity. And they're coming off six wins in a row. So I think they're trending in a positive direction and just trying to figure out who they are and where they fit and buying into that new team culture that they've developed over the last year. Jenny Dalton Hills getting set for Arkansas, South Carolina. Jenny, that means some Braxton Burnside with 11 home runs and 27 ribs already. And she's leading the SEC in home runs right now. So an exciting time for Arkansas, the big boppers of home runs in the SEC. I mean, for them right now, they lead the SEC in team home runs. They've got such a powerful lineup with Burnside and Gibson and For me right now, I think the big news that will be emerging out of this series, McEwen, we know, has been out, who is their leadoff hitter for Arkansas because of COVID protocols. But then the one coming out of their midweek game against Central Arkansas last night, they moved Hannah Gamble to the leadoff spot, who was a big hitter. because she was hit by a pitch. It broke her hand. And so surgery and will be out. So right now, the question mark for me is how does um, Arkansas come back and rearrange their lineup? Gamble had been playing third base, was leading off for them. So now you're going to have to move in. It sounds like they'll move in an outfielder into that third base slot. So it just changes your lineup. And so heading into their first weekend of SEC play, they've got some question marks that Coach Courtney Dyer did not know the answers to at today when we spoke to her. Um, South Carolina has not been very dominant in the circle. Kelsey O has not come back and really just thrown lights out as one of those COVID seniors. And so For me, the question mark for South Carolina is in the circle because they've got great defense up the middle with Bozel and McGuire. But for me, it's going to come down to can Arkansas respond with the big hitting off of the question marks in the circle for South Carolina? All right, Scarborough and Trow, take us through LSU at Tennessee and then Kentucky at Florida. They will be huge showdowns this weekend, Amanda. Yeah, I really am looking forward to both of those matches. I mean, this is going to be a great weekend of softball. Every weekend is really a great weekend of softball, but um, I feel like with SEC getting started, it's just going to be upward turning and then the PAC 12 will start just on and on. But um, I'm kind of looking at Kentucky, Florida, you know, I just had Florida. Um, I saw them against Florida state and Kentucky is a team that's still undefeated. So we still have four undefeated teams. Kentucky is 19 and 0 rolling into Gainesville. They're going to be um, having some really good momentum. Um, I, I don't know about like, I don't know about Kentucky yet. They've not played a really strong schedule. Yeah. They've put up big offensive numbers. Their pitching has been pretty solid. So I think this is going to be a great series. I, I, 
I can't predict who's going to win this one, Jen. Like when you think of Kentucky, Florida, Jen, what do you see? Amanda, you know, when I look at the SEC in totality and I listen to everyone talk about their matchups, I think to myself, ooh, who do I think is going to win that series? And it seems like almost every matchup, I could make an argument for either team. And with Kentucky, you're right. Yes, they're undefeated, but it just seems like they're getting the big hits when it matters. Uh, A lot of balls are leaving the yard, but are they really that good? And I can't answer that question. I truly don't know. On the flip side, though, I have the same exact questions about Florida. Hightower had a great week last week, pitched dominantly against Florida State in her start. But I asked that same question about Florida. Are they really that good? And I'm excited to watch this weekend to hopefully get an answer to that question. Michelle, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the most exciting part of the start of the SEC season is to see and learn more about the Kentuckys, the Auburns, the Tennessees, the teams that have kind of flown underneath yep. the radar. Now the challenge comes out. I'm excited for Tennessee. Uh, now this is a program that obviously struggled a little bit last year because Ashley Rogers had that back injury. She's back. Ladies, listen to this. A batting average against of 100. So she's giving up baby two runs excuse me, two hits, two hits a game. All right. She's been outstanding. Uh, her whip is a 0.5, eight base on balls to 94 Ks so far. And they also have Callie Turner, a lefty from Lakeland, Florida. She's been outstanding, a whip under one. So I think this, uh, that being able to really see Tennessee, their pitchers, what they bring to the table, Auburn, what they bring to the table, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited for the start. Michelle, I'm so glad you brought up the Tennessee LSU game because I think Two, looking at an LSU team coming off a huge victory over Texas, winning two out of three. I think we finally saw in game three against Texas what it looks like to have more production than just Aaliyah Andrews doing her job. Taylor Pleasant started to step up. Shelby Sinceri started to step up. They looked like a more confident, complete team. It was the best I've seen them look all year. And after dropping game one, it's hard to come back. So they bounced back really well. You can't ask for better momentum riding into that Tennessee series. And I think, too, a big thing for them is how can they – compete against Ashley Rogers and then make sure they take care of the games that she's not pitching or really dominate in the games or innings that she's not pitching. SEC underway in a big way this coming weekend. We move on our lineup card at seven innings podcast for all your social media. If you're following along Uh, time for an ACC update, got a big Virginia tech at NC state series, a Duke and Virginia tech, both above Florida State in the rankings, Amanda Scarborough. Do we need to be alarmed about Florida State's offensive numbers? A 254 batting average. Lizzie Mason right now, the only 300 hitter. Now, granted, they've played a tough schedule, but only five runs per game and 11 home runs. They're not the first team we're talking about right now in the ACC. Yeah, no, Duke is ranked higher than them in several of the polls, higher than Florida State, higher than Virginia Tech, and their highest ranking in school history, too. Like, Duke is making some noise over in the ACC. They have a great pitching staff. Their team ERA is 1.62, and with that Duke team, they have three a three-headed monster pitching staff with Shelby Walters, Peyton St. George, and, oh, I I forgot to write down the third one, but she's a great pitcher. I knew this was going to happen. Dang, I'll get back with you. Okay, but we'll just maybe be able to edit her name in. Um, the, the series that I have this weekend is going to be NC State and Virginia Tech. And 
super interesting, you guys, because Virginia Tech, February 25th, had to shut down everything because of the COVID protocol. No team activities. That was February 25th. Today, when we take this, is March 10th. They've not been able to do anything officially in terms of practice. And remember the way that Virginia Tech was playing. They had just taken the series against Florida State, which they had not done in about a decade. They were trending up. They were moving up in the rankings. Their pitching staff had been solid. Now they have to face a team, this NC State team, that kind of has some offensive momentum going their way. They've been playing in some close games, some tight games, and, and being able to battle. So on paper, I think that Virginia Tech looks like the better team than NC State, but I'm not sure how this one's going to go because of the fact that Virginia Tech hasn't been playing this week. All right. Plenty of good stuff around the ACC as Amanda scours, scours the internet. I got it. Kayla Heldman, Brianna Butler. And I knew it was Brianna yes. and I didn't want to come with the last name. I could not think of Butler for the life of me, but she, she has been tremendous. Her and Peyton St. George get a lot of the, the, the um, attention, but Shelby Walters is a good one as well. Thank you, Kayla. Appreciate you. The Butler did it. Trope. Amanda, I have a question for you. We talk about, you know, Kentucky and Florida and we ask that question, are they really that good? I have that same question about Duke for you. Do you think that Duke is really that good? I took a look at their, their schedule. Their only loss was to Notre Dame five to three. It was a great game. Notre Dame actually um, played them tight in a couple of games that they played them. The ACC, as well as the Big 12, I feel like it's so tough to judge because a lot of them are playing one another over and over. So it's really hard to get a comparison. So do you really think that Duke should be above teams like Virginia Tech and Florida State in those national polls? And I know I'm putting you on the spot, but yeah. I just... You know, um, gosh, I can't wait for them to play each other. But in terms of being above them, I think that that's still undecided. But in terms of if Duke is the real deal, I think Duke is a strong team. Having watched them play live against Texas, they compete. They're in it. They're super well coached. And then, of course, they beat LSU earlier this year. So I think Duke is really strong because they base everything off of their pitching staff and are able to score a few runs to be able to win. Can't wait if they end up playing FSU and, and Virginia Tech, Jen. Those are going to be really, really good ones and a kind of a prove it type series for that Duke team, Jenny. The thing that I like about Duke is their leadoff hitter, Deja Davis. She's hitting 5'11 right now. She's got three home runs. So she's got some pop that keeps defenses honest, but she really sets the tone for them at the top. Watching her play against South Carolina on a replay, watching how she approached her at bats, she was a bulldog in the box and she did not chase pitches. She was right tight on the zone. And as a leadoff hitter to set the tone like that for this Duke offense, I think she really is a big part of what they're doing. They've only got 14 team home runs. So you're not seeing the ball leave the ballpark, but they are manufacturing with just a tough mentality in the box. Mark it down, folks, on your calendar. The weekend of April 2nd, Virginia Tech at Duke. Uh, looks like all four of those games will be um, on uh, the uh, the ESPN family of networks or streaming. And then the very next weekend in Tallahassee, Florida State will be hosting Duke at least three of those four games on our wonderful ESPN family of networks. Mitty? Um, yeah, I just want to make one comment about Duke. So I called their game last week when they played North Carolina uh, Central University. And Rain Wilson, their um, – their third baseman in her first at bat ended up hurting uh, her knee. And they just, uh, Duke just sent out a press release a couple of days ago saying she was out indefinitely for the season, which is a big loss for him. But this is a Duke team that, um, you know, we talk a lot about their, their, their 
pitching. Um, they've got a couple of defensive struggles they need to figure out once they figure that out. But offensively, you guys, they didn't look like they were doing a whole lot. And then boom, all of a sudden they scored eight runs in one yeah. inning. The game was over. <laughs> so um, this is a game, this is a team that you, you cannot count out. And I love their scrappiness. They're young and they're hungry. And that's the thing. They have, they don't really have history of winning. They've never won an ACC championship because they've only been around for four years. So I think all those little things are what is really going to keep driving this team as the season goes on. All right. Good stuff to look forward to around the Atlantic Coast Conference. Uh, time now for some fun in the Florida sun. Uh, and we can take this in, in any direction that we want. Uh, Jenny Dalton Hill, we got the Florida, Florida State recap. Arizona continuing its Sunshine State tour. They will be in Tallahassee for three before they head back west for Washington. And also we've got the Big Ten Conference heading back down uh, to the Orlando area to play this weekend as well. That Florida State Arizona matchup, I'm really looking forward to because we saw that Mancha did a great job with the rise ball extending the zone against Arizona. Well, what does Florida State have? Oh, yeah, they've got two rise ball pitchers too. And so Vandercock and Kaylin Arnold will come at them up in the zone. So, what kind of adjustments is Arizona going to make? For me, that's the big difference maker. They had some miscues um, defensively against. Um, Central Florida, so to clean up the defense, but then also come and attack the rise ball, show discipline on it, and that will be the difference in the ball game, I think, for me. Jen, what did you? What do you think? Beyond all those physical things, I am looking at the intangible pieces of that game. Arizona is pissed. They are so upset. They're sitting on a bus. They're driving across the state of Florida. I was texting with Alyssa Palomino Cordoza and they're just mad. And now they've got to go into Florida state that has this amazing stadium. They're the newcomers in the softball world. You know, you talk about Arizona having this history, this legacy. They're used to being one of the best always. And you go to this new age team. Of course, they've been good for the last decade, but to Arizona, it's like they're the new kids on the block. And now we got to go play there. And some people think that we might lose. It creates this emotional, intangible piece of the game. And I'm really excited to see it because I also think that Florida State, we mentioned their lack of offensive production. They've got to be a little mad at themselves, too. So I think it's a really great matchup to see emotion, energy, and that scrappiness that both teams tend to really rely on in late inning big moments. So I'm, I'm really excited for that game or that series, Amanda. Yeah, I have, I have a question for you guys, because before Florida State and Arizona play each other, Arizona plays Florida A&M. So my question for you guys, would you rather, if you were Florida State, play Arizona after getting shut out or you know, and take all their madness or pissness, Jen. Um, but, or would you rather play them after probably scoring a bunch of runs against Florida A&M tonight? Like wh which ideally, if you were Florida state, would you rather play them then or after the Florida A&M game? What do you guys think? I don't think I would want to play a pissed off Arizona. I mean, that's just my two cents. Arizona is known to be like the angry team of the, of whenever you're playing, they're not the fluffy team that comes in with bows in their hair. I mean, they're coming in, always looking for a dog fight, always looking to just take it at you. And so FAMU, I'm actually worried about them tonight because they're going to catch the brunt of an Arizona squad, but then Florida state, they're not going to not be mad. 
when it comes to that game too. They're going to still be, have that pissness. Is that what you said, Amanda? <laughs> to yeah, it's a new word. Pissed but off, I, heading I into. Said it, said it. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That is no way it, it will be, you know, hell freezing over before we call an episode pissness, by the way. So let, let's move on. One one thing, uh, when when UCF was playing Arizona, they took over the NCAA Instagram account and they put up a picture of Cindy Ball and Mike Candrea and they referred to Cindy Ball as the GOAT. So they said Mike Candrea and the GOAT and oh. the Arizona <laughs> players beyond being shut out by UCF, we're so, and still are, so <laughs> upset about this. So beyond their bats being silenced, guys, they have got this like monkey on their back. Like, I, I think that they're gonna play with boxing gloves and not bats tonight, like, personally. <laughs> Amanda, what's going on around the Big Ten? They're, they're back in action in Florida. Yeah, do you guys remember the Big Ten? They, they are still out there. <laughs> Because I feel like it's just been forever since we've seen them play. And yeah. I mean, a told two weeks. So they took off a week and they're going to be back in Florida all together again in the Florida bubble, all playing each other again. And I was just dying to know what it was like to be a team in the Big Ten. So I actually chatted with Rhonda Ravel before getting on today on Wednesday and she had a great outlook on it, of course. She always has such a good perspective that's a positive one. She said, we've never really been able to practice this much because if you think about it, the Big Ten, they're always on the road for the entire month of February and then the beginning of March. So for them, they've never been able to practice this much. She said that they had some great weather. They were able to get outdoors. Like that was a positive also coming from the week. Mm -hmm. um, and I think too, you're seeing a lack of offense from the first weekend. She put, she told me what the big 10 batting average was from their first weekend playing in Florida and the big 10 collectively batted 233. And for wow. many of them, it was their first time getting outside, being able to hit outside. And she said too, no team had over three home runs in the six games. Cause it was 220 down the lines and 230 to center field plus all the Florida humidity. So I love the, the facts and the stats that she had told me and kind of an insight of what it's like to be a Big Ten team and getting to practice more and not having to travel as much as they normally do. Big weekend for Nebraska because they will start out with Michigan down in Florida. Smitty? Uh, I just want to say it's not humid here right now in Florida. <laughs> that, <laughs> that shows up in June, July, August, and September. Just saying, okay? So come try and play softball then. Um, the other thing that I want to add to, uh, to this is, um, Danielle Willem Williams. I mean, think about it. She's just three and oh, hasn't given up a walk. I mean, granted, I know it's just a three game, 17 strikeouts. I feel like Northwestern, some of these teams are just so far underneath the radar. Yeah. And when I look back on the big 10, part of me, I, I love the practice component. Cause I think that's where you really get better, but I kind of feel bad for them. I mean, there's a part of me that's like, wow, this is just a very bizarre year for them. Like, how are they even considered to be all Americans or, you know, what's the postseason going to look like? I, I, I'm still, it's a conundrum for me to, to figure out if this is how this is working out for them. What do you think? Michelle, I'm wondering the same thing and, and beyond the all American, you know, status or, or awards, what about the selection committee and trying to figure out where they end up in the postseason? Yeah. How is there any frame of reference to compare them against other teams? 
And are they really under the radar? It's, it's so hard to even say because they're not playing anyone besides themselves. And when a lot of teams have played almost 17 games or above, they've played six. So it's like, they're not, yeah, they're practicing, but how are, how are we as analysts, how are the selection committee as people who are deciding, you know, the future for these programs in the postseason supposed to make decisions? I, I have no yeah. Does anyone have any insight? Well, especially especially if they are going to be beating each other throughout the the regular season, and there's a, a lot of parity, and you know, it will one or two teams emerge from the pack, or will they just be uh, pounding away at each other all year long? It's going to be very interesting to see moving forward, Amanda. Well, we can look at it, and other teams can look at it. Is I, I hope that the you know selection committee does the right thing. But from what Rhonda had told me as well in this conversation is, you know, she hopes for their league that they don't get penalized for only playing a Big Ten schedule because it's out of their control. They have no say in it. Uh, but I think that I mean back to the college football playoffs when my Aggies got left out of the college football playoffs and Ohio State got in. Oh, nice little situation. So I'm not holding on to anything, you know, from a few months ago, but uh, that's definitely on my mind, seeing as how, you know, that happened in a football type setting. Yeah. It's okay, Amanda. They would have lost anyway. It's fine. Oh, boom. (laughs) Boom. Mic drop from bro. You don't know that, Kayla. (laughs) I think they proved it earlier in the season, but I, you know. the (laughs) (laughs) The good stuff just keeps coming, America. Here on the Seven Innings podcast, uh, from pissness to the Aggies getting shafted to meteorologist Michelle going against the grain and saying it is not the humidity, it's the heat. And we've had that backwards all this time. Let's go shag some stats. This week on Shagging Stats. All right, in, in the absence of Holly Rowe, we do anticipate Holly being back with us next week. I'll get us started. I was looking at midseason MVP candidates, and the deeper I dove, gang, the more I realized it's a one-player race right now uh, and something that I want to keep my eye on as the season progresses. Jocelyn Allo, slugger at Oklahoma, number one in the country in home runs and RBIs. And when you look at just Power 5 players, She's also got the best batting average and the best on-base percentage. I'm anxious to see if she will actually have a shot at a national triple crown, which I believe would be unprecedented in college softball. Who's on deck? Let's go Shro in the note. I want to give a little love to the Mountain West Player of the Week, Vanessa Hernandez. She hit 675 this week with 12 RBIs. Kayla, what's your stat? Yeah, well, I'm looking at, I I like to see at this point in the season, now that we're a few games in, is who's stealing those bases. So uh, give all the credit to Southeastern Louisiana. They lead the country right now. They have 54 stolen bases on the year as a team. That's about three per game. And Jenny, I think you and I were kind of on the same wavelength with Shag and Stat, which you got. Most definitely. I was looking at those stolen base numbers as well. Because when I cover the Arkansas game, they've only got one stolen base on the entire season. That's just not their mantra. So I wanted to know who in the country, which individual player was leading the country. And right now it's Macy McCall out of Winthrop. She's 18 for 20 stolen bases. And, oh, in the last three games, she's swiped seven. So she's on fire right now. Definitely lighten up the base pass. Amanda, what have you got? That's a lot more than I think I stole in my entire career. (laughs) 
Um, I go to Arizona where we talk a lot about their offense, but they're actually the only team in the country that is in the top 10 in batting average ERA and fielding percentage. So a complete team, Michelle, Hmm. What do you have a pitching stat perhaps? Man, am I that predictable? Yes. Um, I have uh, a pitching stat because of course I'm going to be calling on Sunday, the Auburn, um, Alabama series at, uh, Auburn and um, Auburn has a 0.90 ERA for a team um, for a team ERA in the circle. Maddie Penta and Shelby Lowe. Shelby is a lefty. They're both freshmen. Check that out. Both freshmen. They've Ooh. been amazing. Um, Lowe is a 0.61 ERA. I love the fact that both of these kids, they have earned some accolades already, but they're freshmen. I can't wait to see what they're going to do going up against Bama in this big series. All right. Good stuff to look forward to. That brings us down to the bottom of the lineup and a challenge for the Twitterati out there. Uh, Twitter America, Instagram America. We need to find out how many career stolen bases for Amanda Scarborough. So make sure you tweet us. I can't find it's not on your Wikipedia page. We need an update on that, Scarborough. Uh, I'm going to set the over under at uh, 14. I'm going to say 14 over under. Uh, but if somebody can help us out, tweet us at Sevens Podcast. Saluki, salute. They're now 14-0, and 0, winners of 23 in a row. And they are at uh, the UAB tournament this weekend. We'll see if they can keep it rolling. Who wants to nominate uh, some folks for Player of the Week honors? We've already talked about a bunch of them on the, on the podcast, Jen. I'm going to give my nod to Sam Russ. She at 533, slugged 1,000, not just one, but two walk-off bombs. She had eight hits and scored eight runs, six for six in stolen bases, and is just three away from their record, wow. NC State's record. So Sam Russ gets my vote this week. Sam yeah, Russ gets my vote as well. Yeah, she takes, she gets my vote. And remember, she's walked it off three times this season. So it's last week, but another one this year as well. She takes my vote. All right, there is your player of the week then, Sam Russ, NC State, who's already got uh, half as many stolen bases last week, I think, as Scarborough does in her entire career at Texas A&M. <laughs> so good stuff there. And another great podcast, seven innings podcast. Thanks to the whole gang, BMO, Shro, Scarborough, Bro, JDH, and Smitty. We hope you have enjoyed this week's edition, The Ball That Comes.